If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 11. Romans, chapter 11. We're going to read verses 33 through 36. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. It says, Oh, the death. I love when a verse starts out with the word oh. What does oh signify to you? He's expressing something that he feels, right? I mean, he feels what he's fixing to say. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable or impossible to understand. How impossible to understand are His ways. And then He gives a reason why He makes this statement. He says verse 34, For who has known the mind of God? How would you answer that? Nobody. Or who has been His counselor? Nobody. Or who has given a gift to Him that God might repay Him? Who has ever given a gift to God so that now God owes you something? No one. And then in verse 36, He explains the reason why. He says, the reason why nobody's known his mind, the reason nobody can be his counselor, the reason why you can't give a gift to him that he owes you anything is because for from him and through him and to him are all things. So the only thing we can say is, to him be the glory forever. And the church said... Y'all can be seated. Today I want to talk to you about the God who is self-sufficient. The God who is self-sufficient. Please don't get bored with me. I, I'm not just trying to come up with, with uh, which sufficient is really not a big word, but I'm not trying to come up with um, um, college professor sounding sermons or titles. I honestly want us to get to know God better. But the problem with that is His wisdom and His knowledge and His riches, the depth of them, you can't reach it. You can't get there. But we can scratch the surface, right? We can see the things that He at least tells us, even though they're unsearchable, you can't find them. But at least He can tell them to us. And because He can tell them to us, we can scratch the surface and we can peer into it and squint at it and be amazed at it even though we can't grasp it, even though we can't fully understand it. So, today I want to talk to you about the God who is self-sufficient. I'm continuing my series on getting to know God. I want to read a quote to you that I read last week. It's from A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, and this is the shortened version of it. 
It says, in, in, quote, in quoting, the church has lost the concept of God's majesty. I don't know that I've ever read a more true statement in this generation in a long time. The church has lost the concept of God's majesty. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low that it has caused the loss of religious awe. Because we don't see God's majesty anymore. Because we have surrendered that and we have substituted it with one so low, we just get up and just come to church. And the truth of the matter is, for the majority of us, it's really more of a burden than it is a blessing to be here. I mean, let's be honest with each other, right? If we can find a reason to not be here, guess what? We won't be. Just all I need is one, right? And not only do I only need one, I'll look for one. I'll find somebody to go visit in the hospital. I'll find a reason why I shouldn't be in worship. I'll do that. I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm saying I. You know what I means, right? It's talking about me. I'll do that. And you'll do that. Because we have lost the concept of the majesty of God. And because of that, it's caused us to lose religious awe. It's caused us to lose a spirit of genuine worship. We do not have genuine worship because we don't know God. Or... Because we don't really believe He is who He says He is. One of the two. Again, my prayer in this series is that God would help us to know Him in such a way that it moves our hearts to humble ourselves and worship His majesty. I don't want us to worship because the music sounds good. I'm thankful that we got good musicians. I'm thankful that we got good singers. But I don't want you to come in here because I don't want you to come to this church because you enjoy the music. I don't care if we don't have any. I was raised in the Church of Christ, y'all. I don't care if we don't have no music. I don't care. I'm thankful for it. And I know God uses it. And I know that we are to use all things to His glory. But if you come to any church because you like the music, You've missed it. I don't want you to come because you like the singing. I don't care if we had the worst singers. I want you to worship and come to church because you believe the truths that are spoken in the song. When I hear the song that says, Awake my soul, like a river you will flow. The Bible tells me that out of my belly will flow rivers of living water. Springs of living water will be flowing out of me because of the love that's being poured into me. You ever took a coffee cup and, and watched somebody pour it and maybe they got their attention off and they looked at something else and they keep pouring? What happens eventually? Your cup just overflows. I want you to worship because what you believe about God comes into you and overflows out of you. And the only thing you can do is worship 
The only thing you can do is stand in awe of him. The only thing you can do is like Paul in verse 33 say, Oh, oh, the depth of his love. The depth of His mercy, the depth of His riches, the depth of His, of his um, grace. Oh, the depth of His wisdom and His knowledge. I want us to be able to worship because we believe the truths about who God is. I don't want you to come to church and worship because the pastor is entertaining. You know, me and Nick talked about this the other day. We were just talking and, um, and it wasn't a bad conversation. It was a good conversation. We were talking about how different we were. And how much we actually appreciated that about each other. That he don't preach the way I preach and I don't preach the way he preaches. And, and, and he don't t- The truth of the matter is you probably couldn't find two people that are more different in all the world. But we complement each other so well, I believe. And one of the things that, that, that Nick was talking about was that, um, you know, Here's the way I feel. He didn't say this, but here's the way I feel. To me, Nick is an entertaining preacher. I don't mean that in a negative way because he's a good teacher. Teaches the truth of God's Word. But he's also entertaining. And when you can combine those two, it's just a fun service to be in. It is. But I don't want you to come to church just because it's a fun service to be in. I don't want you to come to church just because the preacher is entertaining. I want you to come to church and I want you to worship because what he preaches is absolute truth. And you can leave here and you can say, I understand and I know God a little better. And I'm more of a godly person today because of what I learned from His Word. And if you can say that, my friends, you have begun to recover the concept of the majesty of God. But unfortunately, most of us are backwards today. We look for a good band. If there's a good band, then I'll be a part of this. Or we look for a good preacher, entertaining preacher. If the preacher's funny and he's entertaining, then I'll be a part of that. You've missed it. You've missed the mark. So I I want us to be able to sing with the angels. Listen to what it says in Revelations chapter 4. Verse uh, 8 through 11. It says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say. I want you to catch that. And this is not a burden to them. Day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. They just look at the eternalness and the infinity of God and the self-existence of God and then because of that truth they see in God, it leads them to worship. They overflow at what they see and this is what comes out. Guys, I want that. I want that. Do you want that? I pray that you do. The only way to know God this way is to let God reveal Himself to us through His divine self-revelation that He gives us in the Scriptures. We can't know Him any other way. Last week we looked at Exodus where Moses asked God. You might remember Moses said, God, Egypt's got all kind of gods. So if 
I go to your people and tell them that you sent me to them, who do I tell them you are? Who are you? Which God are you? And do you remember what God's reply was? It was three answers. First one, he said, Moses, first off, you need to understand, I am that I am. That's the only way I can describe myself to you, Moses. The only, way, the only thing I can say that, that even begins to get you in an understanding is you have to understand, I am what I am. And then he says, now I want you to go to them and tell them that I am has sent you. But wait a minute. Moses, go to them and tell them Yahweh has sent you to them. And here's what we learned in this. All three of those phrases, I am that I am, I am has sent you, and Yahweh has sent you, all three of those answers revolve around the same Hebrew verb, which is a verb that, just for your knowledge, is spelled H-A-Y-A-H. Hayah, something like that. And this verb is a, in the first part, is the only difference between them is the first two take the first person of the verb, and here's the first person, is simply I. So, little English lesson for you today. The first person singular form of this verb would be, Nick, I am. The second person would be, Nick, you are. The third person would be, Nick, he is. Or Nick, she is. And so here's what happens in this progression of God. He starts out and he says, here's what I want you to know, Moses. I want Mo- Moses, you need to know that I am. And they need to know, Moses, that I am. But tell them, Moses, that He is. So he moves from first person to third person. He said, Moses, I want you to know I am that I am. And I want them to know that I am that I am. But I want you to tell them that He is. My mind, every time I think about that, just it, it blows up. So that's what we learned last week. Long story short, God is revealing that He has no origin. When God says, I am, when God says He is, it literally comes from a Hebrew verb that means to be. To be. To exist. There is no beginning. He exists outside of His creation. He is not um, um, restrained by time or by space or by matter. He exists outside of it. He instead is the creator of time. He was before there was time. We see that in Genesis 1.1. In the what? That's time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so, here's the problem that this shows us. If God is the creator of time, and God is the creator of space, in the beginning, God created the Heavens, space, and if God is the creator of matter, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in it. If God is the creator of all that and He is the definition and the author of origin, He is origin. If He is, and He is the great I am, then here's the problem. It reveals our greatest sin to us. And our greatest sin, I closed last week with this, We created beings 
who have a beginning and an end. We sit on the throne of the great I Am and declare that I Am. We look at the great I Am and say to Him, guess what? I Am. We look at the great I Am and say, guess what? My happiness is worth more to me than you are. I know you would ask this of me. I know that you would call me to this. I know that you would lead me in this. But guess what? I am. Can you feel the weight of that sin? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have raised kids? You got kids or raising kids? Have you ever had your kid look at you in the face and and you tell them to do something, they look at you and say, No. What, what happens when that, what, what, or what should happen when that takes place? What would be right when that takes place? Mikey back there said, <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, he's right. You don't look at your creator and say, I am. You look at your creator and you say, you are. And I only am because you are. So here's the thing about it. The truth that God is the only I am, the truth that He is the self-existent one, Paul takes this and he says, Guys, all things are from Him. They get their existence from Him. All things are through Him. They're sustained moment by moment by Him. And all things are to Him. They are for His glory. So because of that, to God be the glory for it all. For my life, for all creation, for everything that is, to God be the glory for it all. Amen. With that being said, I want to look at how Paul describes God's self-sufficiency in this part of Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Now here's what I mean by sufficient. I mean that God is enough in Himself. Alright? The word sufficient means to be enough. Here's, get this, no need for anything. God is self-existent in the fact that He is self-sufficient. Write that down if you're taking notes. God is self-existent. He has no beginning. He is, he is origin because He is self-sufficient. He has no need of anything to breathe life into Him. He has no need of anything to give Him power. He has no need of anything to give Him wisdom or knowledge. He has no need, none whatsoever. He depends on no one outside of Himself for anything. He depends on no thing outside of Himself for anything. Get this this morning. He has no need. Now again, your mind can't grasp this. And Paul's getting at this. He said, we can't even even contain this. He has no need. 
But instead, from Him are all things, through Him are all things, and to Him are all things. He has no need. He is self-sufficient. So Paul says in Romans 11 verse 34, he says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? And this is in response to verse 33 where he says, Oh, the depth. He says, think about the depth of God's riches. Think about the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Think about how unsearchable His judgments are and how impossible to understand are His ways. And then he says, for, or here's the reason why I say this. Who has known the mind of God? This is the reason it's unsearchable. Who has known the mind of the Lord? No one has known the mind of the Lord. He breaks this out and this, this praise comes out because all Romans, if you're in Wednesday night, you'll know that Romans has been a breakdown of, of, how, of who God is, first off, immortal, glorious, divine, uh, the creator of all things, eternal. This is who God is. And then He tells us who we are. We are mortal, impure, dishonorable, created things. And we traded this glorious God for all of these immortal, impure things of this world. We made a dark exchange is what Romans tells us. But then the Bible says through Romans, God lays out the plan of salvation and that through His great mercy and grace in Jesus Christ and through His shed blood and through faith in that, God justifies us and declares us not guilty and says, no one can bring a charge against you. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And in a result of all that, he breaks out and he says, oh, the depth of the riches of God. Oh, the depth of his wisdom and his knowledge. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. So in 34, Paul exalts God's self-sufficiency. He says, who has known the mind of God? And the answer is, you said before, no one. Who has been His counselor or gave Him advice on how to deal with His creation? No one. Why? Because God don't need your knowledge and God don't need your advice. He is self-sufficient. He has no need. So I'm going to answer this question this morning. How and in what ways is God self-sufficient? Well, number one, He doesn't need anyone for knowledge or wisdom. Who did He consult to create this universe? When He made your DNA, scientists have discovered that, um, that, that your body is made up from a book that they call the book of life. It's actually the DNA that that decides exactly what color your skin is going to be, what color your eyes are going to be, whether you're going to be able to grow facial hair or not, whether you're going to be able to have hair on top of your head, Mark Curley. (laughs) The book of life is encoded in each one of you. And this DNA is so extensive that they actually say that between any two people that are sitting together, there are more than four million differences between you. In all the people in the world, there are always more than four million differences that separate you from any given person. Four million. And yet God created all of this and put it all together. Let me ask you, who did He consult and say, I wonder how we should do this? 
No one. He doesn't need your knowledge. He doesn't need your wisdom. Paul gets this statement as a quote from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 13 through 18. If you want to go back and read Isaiah 40, it's a great chapter. But he quotes this verse from this. And this is what he says in Isaiah 40, 13. He said, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him His counsel? Whom did He consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? And then he says in verse 15, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. If you combined everything the whole world had to offer, God, it's like a drop in a bucket and are counted and are accounted as what? What's dust worth to you? If anything, it's more of an irritation than anything, right? You go in and you wipe it off, you clean it off, and you think you've got it all gone, and then you pull back the curtains and the morning sun shines through, and what do you see? It's just an irritation. And he says, that's what your knowledge is worth to me. It's enough to irritate me. I don't need your knowledge. I don't need your... Wisdom, behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket and they are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon, which was full of cedars, would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. So there's nothing you can give him. There's no gift and that's where Paul gets this from. Who's given him a gift that he should be repaid? If you had all of Lebanon and all of its cedars, you wouldn't have enough to build the fire. And if you had all the bulls and the beasts in the world, you wouldn't have enough to give him an offering to where he would need to repay you. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with Him? Here's what Isaiah and Paul are both saying. God is God all by Himself. He doesn't need a brain trust. He doesn't need a a brain trust of people to gather around Him and give Him advice. He didn't create angels so that they could advise Him. He didn't create mankind so that they could advise Him. But instead, He is the only one who knows exactly what to do, when to do it, who to do it to, for their good and for His glory. You can't give Him any wisdom or any knowledge. He has no need of it. So because of that, Paul says very plainly, Oh, how deep are the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You can't get to it. It's too deep. It's too far away. So the first thing, he doesn't need anyone for knowledge or wisdom. Second reason, he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anyone or anything outside of himself for power or to accomplish his will. But instead, he is power. He is knowledge. He is wisdom. We're going back to what makes him I am. When God says I am, he literally means I am. If you can think of it, I am. This is where it comes from. This is who it is. 
He doesn't need anyone or anything outside of himself or power. Isaiah chapter 40 verses 9 through 10. Listen to what it says. It says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up and fear not and say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense or His work is before Him. Here's what he's saying. God rules with power and He has all the power He needs all by Himself. That's your God. That's who He is. He doesn't need a recharge. You know, back in the... I don't remember if it was the 80s or the 90s. It was somewhere in there. There used to be a commercial of this little bunny that would get out and it would go and it would go and it would go. Does anybody remember what that was? The Energizer Bunny. It never stopped and always go. But let me ask you a question. Is that true for anything in this world? Everything needs a recharge, right? Everything needs rest. Everything needs to be back. If you go without sleep for so many days, eventually what's going to happen? You're going to crash or you're going to die. You have to have a recharge. But listen to what Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28 through 31 says. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power. What does He do? He gives power. He don't need power. He gives power to the faint. And He gives power to the one who has no might. And He increases their strength. And then He says, Even young people, even young men shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. All of this stuff is what Paul has been referencing to whenever he quotes. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 40. And the point of all of this is that God is independent of everything that is because He is the creator of everything that is. Have you not known, have you not heard that God is the everlasting God, the creator of all things? That's what Isaiah is trying to tell us. Do you not know this? So in other words, Isaiah is saying, guys, if you want to know God for who He is, if you want to see Him for who He is, you're going to have to just listen to what He says about Himself. And here's what He says, I am, and I don't need anything else. I'm self-sufficient. <laughs> I have all the knowledge. I have all the wisdom. I have all the power, and I will accomplish my own will. Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 it says all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Now I know this is not making many of you feel real good right now so y'all just hold on we're going to get there. But this is the truth. You need to know the truth first so that you can appreciate the good news. Here's the truth. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as what? You mean absolutely nothing. You ever had a preacher tell you that before? You mean absolutely nothing. And He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven. Is that the end of that? No. 
There it is. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? In other words, no one has the power to stop him from doing whatever he wants to do. He will accomplish his own will. So he don't need your power. He don't need your wisdom. He don't need your strength. He don't need your help. He don't need your service to accomplish his will. He don't need it. He is sufficient, number three, without creation. He doesn't need creation. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 25. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, He does not live in temples made by hand. He don't need you, he don't need you to build Him a place to live. All right. Nor is He served by human hands as though He needed what? Anything. He don't need anything since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath to everything. Listen, God don't need your worship. A lot of people say, well, that's why God created us is because He needed someone to worship Him. God did not need your worship. He don't need it today. God, here's the reason why He don't need your worship. He knows how glorious He is whether the angels say holy, holy, holy or not. He knows who He is. He knows His power. He knows His knowledge. He knows His wisdom. He don't need our worship. He didn't create us because He needed fellowship. He had fellowship. The Bible tells us that He let us make man in our image. He had fellowship before creation because God is three in one. He didn't create you because He needed fellowship. He don't need cre- He has fellowship without creation. He doesn't need a place to live. He don't need hands to serve Him. But that doesn't mean that you are insignificant. Even though you are accounted as nothing, the point of it is He doesn't need you. But here is the good news. He wants you. The God who needs nothing wants you. He created all things for His pleasure, for His enjoyment. He wants, not needs, all the created things to see His glory, to worship Him, to serve Him of their own free will. He don't want robots. He's not looking for robots. He's looking for people who want to see His goodness, who want to see Him for who He is, and who want to stand back and go, Oh, the depth of His knowledge. Oh, the depth of His wisdom. Oh, the depth of His mercy. His judgments are unsearchable. His ways are past finding out. He wants people who will learn who He is and stand in awe of who He is. Last thing, number four, he is sufficient in life. John chapter 5, verse 25 through 26. Look what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. And here's why. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Here's what He's saying. The Father has life in Him. You can't grasp that because the breath of life was breathed into you and it will one day be taken away. But here's the thing about God. 
He had nobody breathe life into him. He is life. And that's the reason why he looks at Moses and says, Moses, I am what I am. I exist. I have life inside of me. I don't need anyone to give me life and no one can take life away from me. I give life and I take life away. He is life. And so Paul says in verse 35 of Romans chapter 11 again, he says, Who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? Even your life itself is a gift. He owes you absolutely nothing. He does not need you. He is completely self-sufficient. Everything comes from the self-sufficient great I am. So in verse 36, in response to that, Paul says, Listen, because God is completely self-sufficient and He doesn't need anything, from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things, your life included, And then he says, to him be the glory forever. Amen. So why does this matter? Why does God want us to know this? Well, first of all, it's a knowledge that produces genuine worship when you believe. You might remember from Psalm chapter 8, David said, When I consider the work of your hands, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have made, the galaxies, your universe, when I look at all your creation, I can only ask one question. You remember what it is? Who am I? You don't need me. Who am I that you are mindful of me? That, my friends, is true worship. That's worship. When you feel that, when you understand that, it deepens your worship to a place that all you can do is exalt the greatness of God because He is who He is. It reveals what a privilege it is to serve Him, especially since He doesn't need us. He said, no one can stay His hand. I will accomplish my will on my own. Do you get that? He don't need me to preach for Him. God is so many times pictured as this frantic God up here wringing His hands, just waiting, saying, who in the world am I going to send to Guatemala? God don't need you to go to Guatemala. God don't need you to go out into your neighborhood. But guess what? God wants you to join Him in His work. And God wants you and He has ordained that you come along with Him and join Him in this great work of His great salvation and His great mercy. And so we need to understand that it's a privilege to come alongside the giver of life, the one that, is, that all things are from, all things are through, and all things are to. It's a privilege to come along beside of Him and to work. Another reason you need to know that God is self-sufficient, it keeps you from giving God counsel. Listen very carefully. Paul says that the one thing, when he says that who has given Him a gift that you should be repaid, the one thing that he mentions in here that you can't give him and shouldn't give him is counsel. He says, who knows the mind of God and who has counseled him? What does Paul expect you to answer that with? Nobody. Nobody. So then, who can give him a gift that he should be repaid? The one thing that you can't give God and shouldn't give God is the one thing that you try the most to give him. God, are you sure you know what you're doing? 
God, I just don't know about this. I just don't trust you in this. I think you need to reconsider exactly how you're, how you're running things around here. But you've got to remember, he don't need your knowledge. He don't need your wisdom. He don't need your power. He don't need anything from you to do his will. Yet we try to give him our counsel on how to do all this. And so if you're going to understand that you can't give him counsel, you're going to have to understand that he is self-sufficient without your knowledge and that he knows what he's doing. Guys, listen, you've got to grab that one. If you don't grab any of the rest of them, grab that one. I don't care if your family fell apart. I don't care if your finances fell apart. God didn't go to sleep. He, he didn't have to recharge and wake up the next morning and go, Oh my goodness, I can't believe I missed that. You've got to be able to understand that God is God all by Himself. And no matter whether we understand it or not, no matter what it brings our way, we need to be able to look at it and understand. He has all wisdom. He has all knowledge. His ways are unsearchable. We can't even understand them. So the only thing I should do is just what? Just trust. Just trust. Don't try to give Him counsel because it's the one thing that you can't give Him. It's the one thing that he absolutely does not need from you at all. He knows what he's doing. It reminds us of our dependency on him for our sufficiency. We're not self-sufficient. We need him for everything. We only have if he gives. We're not the energizer bunny. If there is one thing that all created things have in common, it's that we're constantly in need. We are constantly changing. Listen, I am not the same person I was from the time I stepped off the stage and came back up just a moment ago. I'm just a few seconds older. I got a few more gray hairs. Somebody go look at Chris Pope. You'll see what I'm talking about. Gray hairs coming on. Look at Jason Wolver back there with that beard. He used to be black, didn't he, brother? Jason ain't the same guy he used to be. Because if it's one thing that we all have in common in all the creation, rocks included, is that we are constantly in need and constantly in change. You need to be able to understand that. You need to be able to know that you are dependent upon God for everything that you have and that unless He continues to give you life, you will continue to die. So one day your only hope is that He gives you everlasting life with Him. The last thing, this is where I close. <clears throat> it takes our boasting away. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? If you understand that you depend on God for everything and that He is the only one that is self-sufficient, then you'll shut your mouth when you start thinking you're something. What do you have that you did not receive? Tell me, is there anybody in here that has anything that you did not receive? Everything you have is a gift from God. And if you're going to understand that and you receive that, it will move you to not boast. You will not be boastful anymore, but instead you will humble yourself and you'll say, God, you are the only self-sufficient one. You are the great I am. And I only am because you are. 
So in closing with my invitation this morning, I ask you just a few questions. Is he worthy of your worship? Is he? It shouldn't be a burden to worship. It should be a blessing to see him for who he is. Is he worthy of your service? Not that he needs it. Is he worthy of it? It shouldn't be a burden to serve him. It ought to be a blessing. He doesn't need your counsel. He only wants you to trust Him. I hope that you see God for who He is. Even though you can't grasp it, you can't understand it, you can't, it's unsearchable, the depth is too deep for you to get to, but I pray that you at least get a picture of it so that you're able to stand back with with Paul and just look at it and say, Oh, oh the depth of it. Oh, the unsearchable ways of it. Oh, it's impossible to understand. But I know this, from Him are all things. Through Him are all things. And to Him are all things. So there's only one thing I'm going to do. To God be the glory forever. Amen.